Thanks for listening to this week's message. We want to hear what God is doing in your life through the ministry of Res Life Holland. If you have a testimony, please email us at info at To learn more about us or to contribute to this ministry financially, check us out on Facebook or visit rlcholland.com. So I have just a, a brief word of exhortation for you. I think sometimes we need that. There's some times where, you know, for myself, I'm in prayer and I'll be hearing the Holy Spirit saying some things to me, like you really need to be doing this or doing this. It's just something he's wanting me to do. And then I get really busy at work. And before I known it, I've worked, you know, a 12-hour day or something. I come home, there's stuff that's always got to be done at home, right? There's always something done. You know, words of wisdom I got from my father-in-law early in my marriage. If you're not doing something to keep your house up, it's falling down. And it's really the truth. <clears throat> There's always something. I, I, anybody love to camp? I love to camp. I love to camp because I can get away and sit in a chair somewhere and there's nothing that has to be done. And it's, it's not nagging at me that, you know, you need to do this or that. But, well, I'll get busy and then several days will go by and I'll realize, like, you know, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. You didn't pray about this thing that you really were feeling like you should pray about. You know, and you can get really discouraged. And when we do the things of life, you know, there's, you do know there's no neutral in this world. The programming that's coming in all the time is always programming us, and it's always trying to tell us how to think. It's trying, trying to tell us what's good and what's not, according to the world's standards. And so if you're not in the presence of God and you're not in his word, it's easy to get a couple of days down the road and feel like you're far from God. You're just far from him. You can't really be far from the love of God. And in fact, it's amazing how big a difference a few days makes. I just had a situation at work where on Friday I was letting uh, my boss know some things that the people on my team had been doing above and beyond for our company. And she was telling me, man, I just feel like we have the greatest team and our team is shining. On Monday, she's reaching out to me because one of the other managers was complaining about something that some developer did for them that didn't work out quite right. And they were frustrated because they felt like they were having lots of problems. And all of a sudden, I'm having to account for my team that's not coming through on all the things we're supposed to come through on. And I thought, man, it was just Friday. Things were awesome. And on Monday, now we've got a problem. But that's kind of the way it is with life. So sometimes we just got to stop and we just need to be encouraged in the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> now, Paul is writing to Jews in Rome. Now, here's the thing about the book of Romans. We don't have recordings of Paul's preaching. There's no video that you can watch, no audio you can listen to. Most of the letters in the New Testament are written to people he's already been with. He's preached there. He started a church. He's writing a letter to them to say, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you. Here's some answers to some questions that you have. Romans is not like that. Romans is a letter that's being written to people he has not yet met. And in here, he does a lot of talking about the gospel. And he's kind of, this is, in a way, it's almost like a message video that he could send to them. Here's, here's my message in one package for you. And when I get there, I'm going to tell you more about it. So from that standpoint, it's really a good read for us to look at this and find out what is it that Paul was preaching to people. So in the book of Romans, <clears throat> he's talking to Jews about righteousness that comes from obeying the law 
and all the sacrifices that have to take place. He's telling these Jews that salvation, you can't really get salvation through the law. And he explains to them the purpose of the law. He tells them that salvation truly comes from grace through Jesus Christ, not the law. He tells them that once we have become Christians, we don't live for the world any longer. We need to live like Christ lived. We're no longer under the law. First thing that the Jews would be thinking is, I can do whatever I want to. But he's careful to say that's not the case. Just because we're not under the law doesn't mean we can live any way we want to. We still live according to God's laws because we live the way that Jesus Christ lived. We just have a new way to get salvation. In Romans chapter 7, then, Paul talks about what a struggle that is, though. He spends that whole chapter talking about how I want to do the right things, but my mind and my flesh is at war with me, and so I find myself doing things I know I don't want to do, and I find myself not doing things that I want to do. Now, what do I see when I read that? I see that Paul is somebody that we would consider to be like the greatest of our Christian examples, right? The guy wrote half the New Testament. If Paul is struggling with this, then how much more us, right? That's for our learning too. We would struggle with that. Then he comes to Romans chapter eight and he says, however, for everyone who has been rescued by Jesus Christ, there's no more condemnation for us. We may have that struggle. We may find ourselves doing stuff we really don't wanna do. And we may find ourselves not doing stuff we really want to do, but we are not condemned because we're free in Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to take us in verse 31, <clears throat> Romans 8, 31. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, he has no rival." He has no equal. And that little Greek word that's in there, it's a simple little word, and it means he is on your side. See, a lot of times we read scripture and we blow through these, especially verses that we know really well. We blow through it, but do you stop and meditate on it? If God is for you, God is for you. The Greek word in there means he is on your side. He's not sitting neutral and you're out here hoping that you're on his good side and not his bad side, he is on your side. Now, you've heard me talk about the if statements in the Greek. If you've been here at all when I've preached before, you know I've talked about how there's different kinds of ifs in the Greek. There's an if, and we assume it's true. There's an if, and we assume it's false. I use the example um, in the story of Mary and Martha, where Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, and you weren't, was the kind of if it was there. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you'd been here and you weren't. <clears throat> also, when Jesus said, if the person who owns the house, if he'd known at what hour of the night that the thief was going to come, he would have been prepared. But that one is what we call a second, second class conditional. If he'd known what hour in the night the thief was going to come and he doesn't, he can't know that. He would have been ready. So was he ready? No, he wasn't ready because he didn't know when the thief was going to come. This one here is what we call the first class, which means it's assumed to be true. So what difference does that make? Well, because when you read the statement, what should we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Is God for us? The if in here is that kind. It's if God is for us and we know he is. Paul makes it very clear. If God is for us and we know he is, who can stand against us? There isn't anybody who can stand against us. How do we know? Just because you say so? Paul says, no. He who did not spare his own son but gave him for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If his own son wasn't too big a price, what is? What's he going to hold back from us? He is for us. God is for us. How many times do we think to ourselves, man, I've messed up. Maybe God's angry with me. Maybe he's upset with me. Maybe God's going to turn his back on me. Maybe he won't hear me anymore. God is for us. He held nothing back. He is for us. The next verse in verse 34, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Do you know that you are the ones God has chosen? He chose you. In the Jewish culture, people went to a rabbi and said, can I follow you and be your disciple? Jesus flips that around because that's what he is. He's the paradox, right? The carpenter who was hung on a tree, the one who created all things and became flesh and blood. He didn't have people come to him and say, can I be your disciple? He went to them and said, I believe you can be my disciple. I am for you. Every single one of you in here. Who will lay a charge against those whom God has chosen? God's the one who justifies. That's a legal term. Who's, who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren. And it tells us in Revelation that he brings accusation against the saints. But God is the judge. So I have to confess that in the last year or so, I kind of discovered old Law and Order episodes. Okay, now I know that... I shouldn't say that, but I like the whodunit, you know, and trying to follow the whole path and, and all this stuff. Some episodes I can't watch because, like I said, sometimes culture is just trying to program me, and I don't really enjoy the episodes where they're trying to tell me how to think. But when they're just episodes about, you know, whodunit, and we go through the whole process, it's really interesting. And there are some times when they're really concerned about who the judge is. Because you want to make sure that you get a judge that's going to be fair, right? You don't want to go in against a judge who's already against you. Right? And in this verse right here, Paul says, who's going to bring a charge against you? The one who is for you is the judge. Right? He's the judge. That next verse, who is the one who can condemn? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that. Now look at that. Christ Jesus who died, that alone is enough. In his death, he paid the price for our sins. It's done. But it's more than that. He was raised from the dead, and he's at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. That means he's my defense attorney. And he's not a public defender. Okay? And he's not just interested in my case and winning my case. He's interested in me. He is my advocate. Okay? He is raised from the dead. He is at the right hand of God. Let me make clear being at the right hand of God. Okay, I know not everybody is a football fan, but I last year went to Seattle and I went to a football game. I was in the stadium when the Atlanta Falcons came to play. I was in the building. I guarantee nobody in this room was in the building. I was there. 
Now, there were plenty of times in there where I wanted to be able to talk to Coach Pete and let him know what I thought needed to be done. All right? I was not at the right hand of Pete Carroll to tell him what needed to be done. And there were some times he could have used my advice. I was there. I was in the stadium. I was so far, he couldn't have picked me out from the crowd. But see, Jesus isn't just risen from the dead, and he's not just in heaven in the crowd somewhere. He's at God's right hand. He's at the right hand of the judge. Who would want to go to court if you knew that the attorney and the judge were in cahoots against you, right? But who wouldn't want to go in there when the attorney representing you and the judge were on the same side and they were for you? Who can lay a charge against us? The accuser of the brethren comes to us all the time in our life and tells us, you did this, you messed up here, you didn't do that. When he is in heaven making accusation against us, there's nothing. Because the judge and the attorney are on my side. See, it's like this. I'd be watching these football games, and when the Seahawks were losing in the early part of these playoff games, my phone is lighting up. (laughs) Oh no, what happens now? But then the game would start to turn. And my team would do what they do, which is to turn it around and win. And I'm telling you, man, from that point on, that phone was so quiet. I could turn over and look at it. There's nothing on it. It's like, hello? Now, I'm not naming names. There he is. (laughs) But I think of that when Paul says, who is the one who condemns? There's no one who can condemn us because we have the judge and we have the defense attorney. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who or what? Now that word separate, I used to read that and see it as a divider. There's a barrier, right? And it's keeping me from God's love. But that's not what it is in the Greek. It's closer to a a marriage term where what God has joined together, let no one separate, okay? We are in the love of Christ. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble or hardship? Man, we blow through the list. What can separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress, persecution, you go down the list, nope, not none of these things, but you stop and think about them. And meditate on them. Because trouble and hardship is what we live in all the time. If we don't have a problem right now, we're either just coming out of a problem or just going into the next one. Because that's life here on this world. Can those things separate us from the love of Christ? No, they cannot. How about persecution for the name of Christ? No. Famine, not having enough to eat. What if I'm out of work? I don't have any money. I've lost everything. I don't have enough to eat. Nakedness is a a term that's used for being in need. We don't have enough to clothe ourselves with or a place to live. We're in great need. Can those things separate us from the love of Christ? They can't. They can make life pretty rough. The reason that Paul uses these is because they're not little things. They're big things. 
They make life rough. And sometimes you can be in circumstances like that and things can seem really hopeless, but they're not hopeless. Because we are still in that marriage thing with the love of Christ. Danger, dangerous circumstances, bad neighborhoods, storms, earthquakes, tornadoes. He says the sword, gangs, warfare, anything, there isn't anything at all. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is an Old Testament scripture where Paul is saying that because we're believers, we are more likely to encounter these things than people in the world. See, our enemy is sly. If you're comfortable, things are going good, you might go to sleep and not be looking for the Lord. If you found him, well, you're a problem now because you might become effective for the kingdom. So you bet he's going to bring everything he can against you. More so for us as believers. But he goes into verse 37 and he says, no. In all these things, we are more, more than conquerors through him who loved us. I see all kinds of things. Even in my, my scripture, the paragraph title says more than conquerors. But you know what it needs to say? It's through him who loved us. Right? I'm not more than a conqueror because I can do it on my own. Because I don't know about the rest of you. But I've tried to do it on my own. I try to do it on my own lots of times. I try and muster that up in myself. I fail a lot of times. That's how I end up back like Romans 7, where I make mistakes. I want to do the right thing, and I don't always do it. Because I try in myself. I'm not more than a conqueror when I'm in myself. But the one who loved me, through my, the one who loved me, I am more than a conqueror. Through the one who is my judge, through the one who is my attorney. When it's through him, I'm more than a conqueror in all of those circumstances. For I am convinced. See, I was in a situation where I was just really struggling with you know, sometimes the things that are in our past, they come up and they bother us again. Sometimes you find yourself, I don't know about you, I do. I find myself saying, Lord, why did you choose me? You know, why did you choose me? You know my past. And then I think to myself, I was on this scripture right here and I was just meditating on it, where Paul said, I am convinced and he's convinced, so here's another one of those Greek things. I know it's kind of nerdish, but in the Greek, there's different kinds of tenses with our verbs. And so when he says, I am convinced, there's one kind of tense we could use here in the Greek that would say, I'm convinced right now. Ask me again tomorrow. It might be something different. Might have been something different yesterday. He didn't use that. He used another tense for the Greek, which means, I am convinced today, tomorrow, and forever I'm convinced you cannot unconvince me. And he said, I'm convinced of what? I'm convinced that neither death nor life, think on that, death can't separate us. Nothing in life, nothing in life, and that's big, life comes at us fast and hard, but nothing in life can separate us. Not angels, 
the good guys. Nothing, no angel is able to separate us, nor demons, who are the bad guys. Demons cannot separate us. The attacks of the enemy on us, whether they're indirect or straight on spiritual warfare, he cannot separate us. Present or future, my current circumstances, maybe the mess I've made for myself right now, or the mess I'm about to make for myself tomorrow, or that somebody else will make for me, circumstances that are coming my way, nor height, nor depth. At this point here, now Paul's got to start grab-bagging. What else? We remember Pastor Jesse talking about the love of God, and he talked about how high, and he talked about how deep. And Paul says there's nothing high enough, and there is nothing deep enough to separate us from the love of God. And in case we missed it, he's like, nothing else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. My past cannot separate me from the love of Christ. Did you know that God already saw your whole life story when he chose you? He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He didn't get into it. You know, we buy something. We buy it and we can then just, you know, a week or two into it, you can have buyer's remorse, right? It wasn't quite what you thought when you threw your money down on it. The more money you threw down on it, the bigger your buyer's remorse. God doesn't get buyer's remorse. Do you know that? There's no buyer's remorse. God doesn't slam down his son as a payment for you and then go, whoa, I made a mistake on this one. I should chuck this one back. There are plenty of times that I have said to the Lord, Lord, I think you should have chucked me back. But he doesn't because God is faithful. When the sun no longer rises, when the earth stops spinning, God's faithfulness goes on. And he saw your story. He knew when you would become a Christian and he knew what you were going to do the rest of your days. And knowing exactly what he was getting, he chose you. Nothing can separate us. Church, we need to know it. We are in circumstances right now here in America where the storm clouds are gathering. If you're watching what's going on in the news, you can see it. If you're praying, you can feel it in the spirit. It is not going to be easier to be a Christian in the days that are coming. It's going to be harder. And if the world is not telling you to sit down and be quiet, the enemy spiritually is going to be trying to convince you that you need to sit down and be quiet. Who are you? You're not a great Christian. You don't have anything to say. No one's going to listen to you. You're too inconsistent. Listen, you need to understand nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are chosen of God, and you are set here for this time. He could have had you born in another age. He had you born in this age. Each and every one of you has a purpose in this age. It's not for the pastors. It's not for evangelists to be the ones speaking for the Lord in the days that are coming right now. It's for the church. We need to rise up as a church and we need to know, enemy, you got nothing to say because I got the judge and I got the attorney. The price has been paid for me and there isn't anything, not in my past and nothing you can do or anything else that's gonna happen that can separate me from God's love. 
That makes me, that makes me useful for right now in the days that are coming.